This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast outside of the Denver metropolitan area that gives a crap about the Avalanche Predators game. It's time to do a little stargazing. We are technically postseason, Mark, but the rest of the league hasn't exactly caught up. How are things going for you? Well, we got 108 points, so things are going great. Uh, I'm ready for some playoff hockey come Monday, which uh, which was announced uh, late last night for y'all. It was kind of in the middle of my evening, so uh, I'm happy. Monday, Monday, Wednesday schedule, and then we'll see based on who we're playing. Uh, it's either a Saturday or a Friday game. It's it's going to be great. It's it's been a long time coming, and uh, yeah, it's it's. It was interesting last night and really over the last week watching the games develop because, of course, Dallas and my my humorous, I, I claim it's humorous, introduction alludes to there is still, despite the fact that they've finished their season, there are still some things at stake for the Dallas Stars and there certainly were some things at stake over the past week. But it was nice to get to settle in and watch much more from the perspective of how the playoffs were going to shape up than looking at if the playoffs were going to shape up. And I have to say this, there's a lot to like, right? Ending their season, Dallas is 8-2-0 in their last 10. They've won six in a row. Haven't exactly played a murderer's row, but hey, you win the games you can. Uh, they, they won a back-to-back. They got a Nottinger shutout. They did a bunch of good things setting themselves up for the postseason, and now it, it all comes down to the avalanche and, and where things stand today as we record Friday morning. Dallas is sitting in third place in the conference with 108 points. They're one point ahead of the avalanche, who, of course, get to play the Predators. It's the, uh, I, I believe they had a water main break. Is that right? It's, the, it's a makeup game. Yeah, it's, and, it's weather weather related. I think I think that's right. Uh, there's one other game that that had some issues as well. So the season is officially over. Uh, the amount you've spent on your cap is officially set. But there's still some hockey to play. Yeah, and it's significant to the stars. Of course, Dallas it's one point ahead of Colorado and Mark and I guess, I guess the internet as well will correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the stars have the tiebreaker. So if the Avalanche manage a win of any kind, Dallas is going to fall down into the four slot. And a first-round matchup, I believe, with the Minnesota Wild. If Colorado either loses in regulation or loses in overtime, and they end on a tie at 108 points, Dallas will stick in the three slot. And won't that be something? Which, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and talk a little bit about the game. We don't know a ton because we're not. I mean, Mark is brilliant, but we're not super Avs guys or, or Predators guys. But Mark, you noticed some AHL shenanigans on the part of the Nashville Predators heading into to tonight's matchup. Is that right? Well, it's not necessarily shenanigans. It's just it's shenanigans, the, Mark. <laughs> the Texas Stars and the and the Milwaukee Admirals are in a are in a very tight race for winning the Central Division in the AHL. And with Nashville out of the playoff race at the NHL level, they have an inordinate number of these NHL slash AHL guys who are available to play for Milwaukee and uh, could potentially give a competitive advantage to their AHL team because they really don't need them for the NHL. Team. This, this is something that happens fairly regular in the a- AHL. The best thing that can ever happen to an AHL team going on a Calder Cup run is for their NHL team to suck. 
because at that point they get all of their AHL guys to play for the AHL. Texas had the reverse. This whole run, wonderful Thomas Harley run that uh, it's like, wow, we finally got him up to the NHL. Well, uh, down in Texas, they're scrambling to fill the spot of their number one pair left D guy. And yeah, so yeah, the Thomas Harley, who seems to have fit very nicely in the Dallas Oh, he was North great. Side. Yeah, he, and he was he was great down at the AHL. And so now, now all of a sudden, you're bringing in, uh, you know, Michael Caro's getting full time as opposed to spot time duty, and uh, everybody has to ship up. And that's kind of tough if you're fighting a battle for uh, divisional supremacy in, in your league. Anyway, that's a, it's kind of a little side note. It's it's different different battles fought. And uh, here, you know, we're dependent on Nashville for one thing. And on the other hand, it's kind of in Nashville's best interest to get as many of their good players down away to not help the stars for both the NHL and the AHL. So yeah, we'll see I what made, happens. I made a joke about shenanigans. Of course, it's it's from the Nashville organization's perspective, of course, the right thing to do, even if it does make them a bunch of lousy jerks. And we hope that they enjoy golfing this summer. Again, Nashville equals lousy jerks. But well, yeah, I mean, we'll, say- we'll see. We'll see how much they hate <laughs> us by whether they start UC Soros tonight. You know, if, yeah. if Soros is out of net, then then we can say they uh, they they kind of re- regret and, and and hold a grudge against all the good things that we've gotten out of them over the last several years. And, and let me veer this thing a little bit closer to home. How much in your mind, in in practical terms? The difference in this this situation, right? If Colorado wins, it's the difference between Dallas playing Minnesota in the first round or playing Seattle in the first round. In either case, Dallas is going to have home ice advantage, at least in that first round series. So there's not there's not a, a ton of, you know, there's that part isn't at stake. But in your mind, Mark, how much does it matter which team Dallas faces in the first round? I mean, from a from a who's going to be favored point of view, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. From the type of hockey that is that's going to be played, I think it does. Uh, Minnesota is obviously going to play a much more physical game. Which, if you're talking about a long run to the Stanley Cup, uh, if you're playing a physical series early on, it's just kind of setting the tone for your body. You're going to take some abuse that's going to add up over the over the course of the playoffs. And so Minnesota, I think, is is perhaps a tougher matchup if you're looking long term. On the other hand, you know Dallas won two out of three against both. Uh, the Seattle is much more recent. Minnesota, I don't think uh, none of those games took place before the the trade deadline, so they really haven't seen this Dallas Stars with with uh, Domi and Dadinov. So there'll be some interesting things going on there. Minnesota also has some question marks where where uh, Kaprizov um, is is back healthy, but he's he's really only been back a, a game or two. Well, well, Kaprizov and shout out to the green team with the uh, Minnesota Wild injury report this week, I guess. Um, Kaprizov has been back, but um, Erickson Eck and Oscar Sundquist, meaningful, and Mason Shaw as well. But um, the the big name there is Erickson Eck, who is a very critical part of what the Wild do. So Minnesota does have, you know, a, a week ago, I might have said that, you know, Seattle, of course, has had a very good season, but there are questions in goal. There's, there's a lot of... They of of the east of the Western Conference playoff teams, that's maybe the matchup you want. But with some some critical injuries on the wild roster, you could make a case to say that maybe you want to get them early. 
before they have a chance to get some of these guys back and some of these guys into better, you know, better condition. If in fact Kaprizov is still carrying something, he only got back on the eighth. Um, Brandon Daheim, uh, you know, John Klingberg was hurt as of the end of March, right? So they've had some guys. So there is an argument to make from the you know personnel front that says, hey, get Minnesota early before they have a chance to to maybe get healthy and settle themselves. And then to your point, Dallas did fairly well against them in the regular season anyways. So I, I it was one of those things where I, my knee-jerk reaction was, oh boy, I really want Seattle. I just salivate thinking about their goaltending and what Dallas's offense might be able to do. But the more I thought about it, I, I think that probably is still the ideal. I mean, there's a reason that they're, you know, the seventh seed and, and Minnesota's a, a spot higher, right? But I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's a huge difference. Let me say. Right. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a team here that still had a uh, hundred points. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're within, they're within eight points of where Dallas is sitting. And if you extrapolate that over 82 games, there's, there's very little difference there. The advantage Dallas might have is that so many of their points were wasted by uh, by being incredibly bad at three on three. So uh, you know, Dallas, yeah, hey, Dallas officially, is we can tough. officially announce that we no longer care about Dallas's performance three on three for at least you know six months or so. Yeah, it, it, unless there's some kind of weird scenario where you can get three on three because you got in a bunch of fights. I don't know. Is, is that even possible? It's, I'm, I'm sure it's possible. All things are possible. Yeah. Four on four, we're fine. And and it turns out six on five, we're fine. And and recently, five on four, we're incredibly fine. So life, life's pretty good there. I, I'm, I'm kind of going with you. I, I think Minnesota is one that I'm not so worried about. They have some goaltender issues of their own. More of what I'd call a goalie controversy. I think uh, the old hockey guys are going to want to start flurry. Uh, just mm-hmm. because of experience, um, he's Gustafson, got the rings. He's got the. He pedic- does. He if does. You look at the. If you look at the entire expanse of his career, he's the guy that that you would probably want to start. You yeah. would start. You would take his career. Let's say. Right. Right. Exactly. And and on the other hand, Gustafsson has been uh, has probably been their better goalie goalie yep. this year. So uh, you know, make a choice. Um, I I don't know. You know, Flurry could easily stand on his head. We've seen it before at least early on was notorious for beating up on Dallas and, and having really good games. So it's not like I would consider that an advantage, but you know, once the game starts, uh, the skill level might not quite be there. So flurry, I'm not too concerned about and Gustafson's been pretty good, but on the other hand, he's played a couple of the games against Dallas and Ottinger's out dueled him in both of them. So I, I'm not uncomfortable there as well. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Neither matchup, you know, the, the Western Conference, we've talked about it all season, is a bit of a, you know, every, it, it reminds me of video games and fighting, you know, mini bosses where everybody has a glowing weak point, right? No team in the Western Conference is completely top to bottom, I would say, whole, uh, especially with, hey, more more green team shout, especially with news that, that Gabe Landeskog is not going to, to play at all this season. So nobody is perfect. And... I think you're right. I think Dallas, it's it's going to be, especially in the first round matchup, whether it's Minnesota or Seattle, it's going to be much more about whether or not Dallas can execute what Dallas wants to do than it's going to be about anything an opponent is able to inflict upon the stars, right? They they should be and will be favored in any first round series that they approach. That doesn't mean it's going to be a, a you know slam dunk easy. That doesn't mean it's a given, but they they will be the better team in the first round and 
it's going to be an after after years of you know perhaps them not being so and playing the underdog card. It's going to be interesting to see how this group reacts to again at least until you get into the the second round where you know Edmonton and Vegas and Colorado and you know potentially Los Angeles might rear their heads. Right, at least at first, right? How is this team going to respond to being the favorite versus being the the underdog? Right, and, and you know I guess my question is you know we we saw a lineup last night that could very well be the preview of the lineup for the playoffs. And and the stars with Mason Marchment back uh, healthy are are ready to go. There there isn't anything you may have a little concern about a lingering, you know, tweak here or there on Rope Hints, but everybody else seems to be, you know, 100%. And obviously it's hockey, it's not 100%. It's some it's something less than that. But entering the playoffs this team is ready to go, I think. Yeah, I was about ready to throw my TV for many reasons watching the ESPN broadcast last night. I was about ready to throw my TV through the wall when they kept referencing exactly how lucky Dallas had been this season injury wise. And it a the the jinx, you know, fearing uh, sports fan in me wanted them to shut up immediately. And then the second part of it was, is this not perhaps something that is due to this team after, you know, COVID and the state of Texas freezing and all of the all of the various things that have prevented this team from being healthy and being, you know, fully present over the past couple of seasons? Uh, maybe karmically they were due a little injury run. But yeah, Marchment was back. Looked good, I thought. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was one nothing. They got the shutout, which is a big deal. I, I thought they played better offensively than one nothing. Perhaps gives them credit for. I'm not going to get into a lot of the, uh, you know, the nitty gritty of it all, but they looked fine. Marchman played 14 minutes, didn't get a shot, didn't really do, you know, nothing on the score sheet. But the fact that he's back and played 14 minutes, I think, is significant. That's that's what this team is going to need, you know, Domi created some chances. Sagan had some looks, Dadenoff hit a post, Wyatt Johnston scored a goal. He's going to need to do that in the postseason for this team to advance. Like this, you know, they did, they did stars things, right? There's nothing glaring as we stare down the barrel of a first round matchup that, that really, you know, seems to, to be freaking me out. Uh, well, you know, and, and I think, yeah, I, I think you saw what is going to be a concern to other teams, which is, with with Marchment back and having three lines that can lift the load offensively, there are matchup problems out there. The top pair that St. Louis threw out there, they weren't playing the top line. They, they, they had a defensive pair that tried to sh- shut down the top line, but were unsuccessful at doing that. And beyond that, you know, who's, who are you going to give the third pair to? Are you going to give that to Domi, Sagan, and Marchment? Or are you going to give that pair to Ben... Dodonov and Johnston. And one of those, one of those groups is going to come through. And and even, even beyond that, if you take Ty Delandria and throw him down to the fourth line, that all of a sudden makes that line a little more threatening. And so you, you aren't just worried about throwing guys out there who are going to uh, eat up a couple minutes and maybe bring a little energy to the game. They're a legitimate threat and, and they they were pretty good last night. Yeah. And, and you know, it, and it's the story of Delandria's season, right? He probably should have scored shorthanded, had a very nice chance in tight, just didn't quite find a hole with the puck. And, you know, it used to be there was, you know, the fourth line, right? Historically, it's that group that you just kind of close your eyes for 45 seconds and hope that nothing bad happens. But to your point, this is a team 
And Delandria played 13 minutes, uh, which is actually more than Jamie Benn, right? This is a team that can do something. It's not it's not filler content when that line comes over the board. They they can score. They're they're not necessarily going to get torched defensively. There's there's a lot of good there. So I think you're absolutely right, and and you know it it puts you into there are going to be nights when the first line gets it done and nothing else matters, right? We've seen that happen this season and, and everything else is irrelevant because you just kind of look at the score sheet at the end of the game and Hintz has a couple of goals. Robertson has four points. Pavelski tips something in. Like you just, okay, that happened. And it's what happens on all those other nights, right? And historically it was, well, if that doesn't happen, Dallas is a little bit screwed. But now, like you said, you're getting into the territory of, you know, Jamie Ben had a fantastic season, right? He had 33 goals, 78 points, almost, you know, almost equal to his Art Ross winning ways. So his line, you know, Wyatt Johnston, what, 24 goals? Um, Tyler Sagan scored 20 goals this season, now with Domi and and, and Marchment. So there's, there are units on nights, you know, if, and hopefully they don't, right? But they're on the nights when Dallas gets nothing out of that first unit. There are now two other lines that you could look at and, and not just say, hey, I hope they chip in, but look at them and say, no, I, I expect offense out of the Ben line. I expect offense out of the Sagan line. Not as much, certainly. That's that's not a, you know a slide on any of them. But you can now look at it and say, there's three units for the Dallas Stars that should be expected to generate offensively and a fourth that might. And that is a very difficult problem for um, any any team. Right. To solve, because like you said, you can't just sit on, OK, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to put my five best defenders on the Robertson line and dare the rest of the stars to beat me. Right. And years past, you could get away with that. And it might have been close and it didn't always work, but you could gamble in a seven game series that that was probably a fine strategy. This this season, that'll get you killed. Right. And you take a look at the specific matchups, you know, for instance, Minnesota, you know, they, they, they have Spurgeon. Spurgeon is, is one of the best shutdown defenders out there. But he's only going to be able to be paired up against one of those Dallas lines. Yeah. And so somebody is going to play Minnesota with non-Spurgeon defenders. And that creates a vulnerability and a matchup advantage for the Stars. Not only that, right? And this is all assuming that the line combinations for the Dallas Stars stay static. And we've talked about, and no, DeBoer doesn't shuffle a ton, and he probably shouldn't based on how this this particular team has performed. But... All of a sudden, right, coaches have time to tweak and strategize and really plan in the postseason when it's a consistent opponent across a seven-game series. So, you know, we're talking primarily about if Dallas just goes, you know, chalkboard, throws out the lines we expect one after the other, this is how it might work out. That's not even getting into the, well, you know, Sagan looked pretty good when he had to spot start between, you know, Robertson and um, and Pavelski. So, like, does does putting him somewhere else maybe give you a different look and further frustrate a coach that's trying to line match, right? What if you know? What if you move Ben? So there's there's so many more things that you can do with this group, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they handle it. To tell you the truth, I don't see a scenario where Pete DeBoer has to make those changes against either Seattle or Minnesota. I, I think the line that we rolled out, the lines that we rolled out there, the personnel that we had on the ice last night was a preview of what's going to be starting in the in the playoffs. And I and, agree. And, I, and, I, and, and it, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty interesting to see a, a, a game without Luke Glendening. But I think having Kiburanta and Delandria with Fox on the fourth line makes that a better fourth line than than having Glenn Denning and Fox uh, paired up with with one of those two. 
Yeah, I agree. And and to be clear, I, I wasn't thinking that it was going to be some kind of systemic change. I more meant that in the heat of the moment, right? If you catch, if you catch Spurgeon on a long shift, and all of a sudden, you know, it's that that in period shift by shift matchup situation, right? You catch somebody on a long shift and have the opportunity, you know, maybe you you don't want to throw the entire first line out there, but you have the opportunity to spot, you know, spot start Sagan or move or move hence or you you have you have the opportunity to to do something like that and all of a sudden you've screwed up the rotation on the other side, right? Now now it's not as simple as okay, I'm going to wait for, you know, Robertson to come over the boards and then I'm going to throw over, you know, throw out my ideal defensive matchup because Robertson might come over the boards with a different. You know what I mean? It's it's more of the tactical um, adjustments, a shift here, a shift there versus the strategic adjustments, looking at it and saying, no, for game three, we're going to run, um, you know, we're going to break up the first line just to, just to, just to teach them a lesson right now. It's, it's more about that in the moment. I see something I want to exploit. You know, I, I think that I can get this unit out there or part of this unit out there and, and something good will happen. And, and, and at some point there's just a talent level thing where, where the guy's even if they aren't playing, you know, if you have a long change or something like that, where one guy gets stuck out there with a unit, you can see the cohesion and the cohesiveness yep. and, and the skill that they all bring. And so nobody's feeling uncomfortable if they get stuck out there with two guys from another, another line. They all have that um, that level of offensive skill where they can work off of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the specifics and, and some other things we've noticed. We're going to take a short break to say hello to the green team. We'll have an injury report coming out of the break and, and a lot more. You know, Mark, people get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered and instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Right? These folks definitely need to call Robert Greening and the green team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. So speaking of, and we've we've alluded to it a couple of times, Mark, but the big news, of course, is that Mason Marchment did, in fact, get back into the lineup before the end of the regular season, played 14 minutes, um, did not look seriously limited. And it seems like with that addressed, you know, Wedgwood started uh, a couple of games, uh, including one in the AHL. It looks like this team is full speed ahead, clear injury board heading into the postseason, which is a big advantage. Yeah, I think I saw something from from uh, the, the hockey injury viz site that said uh, the Stars lost three man games to to injury this year. Which is which is I think tied for the best that's uh, that's out there since they started keeping track of stats. So uh, over the last twenty years, and that was three games of Miro Haskinen. So this the unit on defense is is very healthy, offensively with Marchment back. Um, the only guy who went on injured reserve all year was was thirteen games for for Luke Glendening. Uh, it, it's an amazing accomplishment how healthy these guys have have been able to keep. 
Yeah, and I think we have to get into some of the reasoning. A big healthy chunk of it is obviously luck. And it's, um, you know, injuries, flukes happen all the time. You can't always predict it. I will say, you know, then the obvious one, of course, is, you know, the Pete DeBoer effect, kind of everybody's ice time. You know, even looking last night, right, 18 minutes for Pavelski, 19 for Robertson, 1925 for Robertson, 1905 for him. Nope. Nobody got run into the ground, which I think helped, um, you know, that, that helps keep everybody healthy. And I did have a, a, a sneaky kind of second idea that I run, wanted to run by you. This is in, in years past, Dallas has been a team much more focused on, you know, limiting chances, ending events, counterpunching, right? A little, little bit more passive in terms of puck play. Whereas this season, there really was an onus on skating forward, attacking, making plays. And I, I have no actual like statistical evidence or, or any kind of, you know, anything to bear this out. But there's a part of me that thinks that that's related because a team that is more willing to attack that basically when you have the puck more, you're blocking fewer shots, you're throwing fewer checks, you're putting yourself in fewer kind of tense situations. And I think that in addition to just the general injury luck or, or injury helpfulness of having lower aggregate ice time kind of per person ice time across the unit, that was a huge part of it. But I think the other piece is this team played in a style that was more conducive to health is my crackpot hot take. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that. And, uh, you know, cer certainly you have some older guys who've also learned how to take care of their bodies along the way. Um, so, you know, Hey, you know, Sagan having missed the playoffs uh, knows what he needs to do to not push his body over the edge because mm -hmm. so he's getting to the point in his career where he realizes how, how, valuable and how how precious these playoff runs are and and losing one due to due to injury that's somewhat controllable is something that you just don't want to do yeah and, and as well you've got guys like Pavelski and then counterbalancing it with youth you know Jason Robertson is is 23 right those dang kids bounce back quickly White Johnston's a teenager so there's there's a good blend of of the guys that have sort of been through it know how to take care of this I mean this a lot of this team went to a final right in recent memory and it was a weird final but it's still you know they still played the games so it's it's a team that knows kind of how to battle through some injury adversity but it's also a team that's balanced with some some younger guys that, that tend to bounce back more quickly and i think you know on the same theory depth i think plays a part right this is a team that hasn't had to you know when things when thing when they're down when things are going bad this isn't a team that has to except for maybe miro but he's he might be a robot i'm not i'm not certain he's not but <laughs> They don't have to ride anybody, right? It's not, oh, no, we're trailing. We better play Jason Robertson 29 minutes tonight and hope that nothing bad happens, right? This is a team that, that can kind of roll those three lines and, and hope something, you know, and kind of force something good. So just I think this is a a, a victory for fate. Uh, it's a victory for Pete DeBoer as a coach, and I think it's a victory for Jim Nill as a roster manager, putting a unit together that was able to function in a way that maybe mitigated some of the risks of, um, you know, of injury. Yeah. And I'll, I'll throw one other thing out there. Um, just we with the back to back to St. Louis, um, the first game, it, it was one of those games where almost nothing could go wrong. You, you, you know, ben, ben scores a goal, scores a butt goal, literally. Yeah. Um, and, and then the second game was one where the chances were really there. I mean, the, the stars easily could have won that game six zero. And what you had was the team persevering in both cases where luck's with them, where luck's against them, and they still maintain their game. Yeah. 
and and I think that is a quality of a of a really good hockey team, and and one that's mentally strong is in additional being physically good, and it's kind of nice to have evidence of that right before the playoff starts because that's the type of thing that's going to get you playoff wins, being able to handle the nature of that game and and overcome an opponent. Um, you know, and here it was St. Louis, but on the other hand, you know, how many how many stories are out there of Dallas Dallas going out there in the last game of the season and just kind of you know, oh, absolutely. Lay, lay, laying it laying laying a turd out there uh and, and not even taking the chance. You know, it, it was entirely possible with Bennington going the way that he was going that Dallas was going to just hand the division to Colorado and they didn't. Yeah, I mean, think how many times has this team over the years been goalied by somebody? And, and then you factor in, and again, it's it's all, you know, armchair psychology. But I mentioned earlier, um, you know, uh, gosh, what Delandria had, what might have, should have been a goal, a uh, pretty good chance. Dadnoff missed a, a yawning cage. Uh, he hit a post again, but, you know, Johnston was there. There, there were plenty of chances, uh, plenty of moments. You know, the first period was kind of one of those, you, you came out of it thinking, holy heck, how are they not ahead? And then they, they come out a little flat in the second and don't get any shots for Then they explode late, but still can't. So, it, yeah, it, it, you could absolutely see a world in which Dallas gets, you know, kind of starts spiraling, goes crazy and gives up some kind of fluke bouncer, you know, loses one to nothing and for and, and hands the division to the avalanche. But to your point, right, they remained composed. They kept generating pressure. It felt like they were um, it felt like they were more effective as the game continued to go on as just sort of watching it. it you never had you never had that. Like, I'm, I'm so used to as a fan that moment of crippling doubt. Oh no! Are they really gonna? Are they really gonna biff this one? You know? And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. You're gonna it, you're gonna lose the Outinger shutout. You're gonna go. You're gonna go into overtime tied, and this team sucks in overtime. And all of a sudden, they're 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 gonna only grab one point. Yeah, but they didn't. And yep. um, it it's good. It's a good omen. Like you said, they can win track meets. They can win one nothing games. Their goaltender just got a shutout. They're firing on all cylinders. Couple of records too. Robertson, of course. I was I was very much on the Robertson hits fifty train, and he fell four goals short. So I feel like he owes me a good performance in the first round of the playoffs. Um, but he did manage to get all the way up to second place all time, first place if you count the Dallas Stars. But if you extend to when they were the old Minnesota North Stars, Jason Robertson is now the second highest scoring player in the history of the entire Ding Dang franchise. In addition to doubling his own career high in points, um, marvelous Miro Haskinen did surpass Sergei Zuboff as the all-time leading uh, defensive scorer in Dallas Stars history. I believe he's still behind Craig Hartsburg for the North Stars record. I think he, I think he either tied and, and keep me honest on this one, Mark. Uh, Miro either tied or surpassed Hartsburg's record on um, assists in terms of the overall franchise, but he didn't get to the didn't get to the the total points marker. And then, of course, Joe Pavelski with a signature chip tip got his thousand uh, thousandth career point. So a lot of stuff going on in a positive offensive way for this group. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting to me is that this, you know, you, you look back at the next to the last year for Lindy Ruff when when the team run, won the president's trophy. And where were all the records then? That that was an offensive juggernaut. And and here we're talking about a, a, a stars team that's one year away from Rick Bonus hockey and and they're setting franchise records on offense. Uh, what what happened? 
it's almost inconceivable to me that these are, you know, 20, 30 year old records that are just going by the wayside. And it's not that we have one superstar that's doing it. We have multiple superstars who are doing it. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, there's a snarky answer to that. I, I do think some of it has to do with Dallas didn't add a ton of pieces, but I do think they added the right pieces, you know, Wyatt Johnston turning into a player, as well as in, and he went through a lengthy scoring doubt, drought, but you know, effectively compared to last season, Dallas added Marchment, they added Johnston, and really added Tyler Sagan as well, due to you know the the kind of prolonged injury absence, and then you know added Miro Haskin in in terms of a offensive driving number one power play running defenseman, right? With with Klingberg departing, so. On, on a roster standpoint, I think even before you get to the deadline acquisitions, you can look at this team and say they are a little bit deeper. But I also think it has to be said that there's something, you know, this this speaks to playing style as well. We, we've talked in the past when it was Ben Bishop, then when it was Jake Ottinger about how this team could potentially afford to take a little bit more of a risky pro, uh, a risky stance offensively because they had that coverage behind them and they did this year and they were more willing to trade chances and I think as a result of that they generated more and then you know they had just had a kid come in and score what 109 points he never underestimate the impact of an elite offensive player you know blowing up in his prime right yeah, I mean, and it's just, again, it's inconceivable to me that you have this kind of performance on a franchise-level basis where the players aren't even going to be nominated for league-wide awards. And I, Yeah, and I mean, I, I will you know, say part of that is we live in Connor McDavid's world. In, in, a, in a non-Connor McDavid world, I think we're hearing a lot more about Jason Robertson. And then the other thing nitpick is the Norris tends to lag a season behind. I think it it would not surprise me. Of course, he has to maintain the level. It would not surprise me if this is the big season that puts Miro into the formal Norris discussion. Because it just historically, it feels like you have to have a Norris quality season before you get that Norris buzz. And then once you're in the club, right, they'll keep talking about you. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, it, it's Dallas, so it's kind of hard to get people to talk about you anyway. When when they can't pronounce your name right, they they, they don't necessarily vote for you. Uh, and of course, yeah. And then this is also, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a franchise that even at its peak, right, built its reputation from the crease out. And this is a team, you know, Madonna had the 150 goal season, but the narrative of his career was much, it's the Iserman narrative. It's much more about everything that he sacrificed offensively in order to become a guy that won a cup. Right. And that that has always been the orientation of this franchise. And I think that that, you know, it's 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 transcended, you know, general managers, it's transcended owners, it's transcended coaches. But really, with the exception of Lindy Ruff and now what we're seeing in Pete DeBoer, this has been a team historically fixated on the notion of let's be tidy and then be dangerous versus um, potentially the other way around. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of it is just. There, there's a whole bunch of guys who are who are rightly or wrongly labeled as second best. Yep. I mean, look, look at uh, Jason Robertson, Earl Kaprizov. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't for this one guy who has this outstanding year, then then, yes, it would be his time. And yeah. you can kind of go to you know, Wyatt Johnston. Well, you know, even having him in the in the conversation for Calder is, is, is a little a, a little odd uh given that he didn't have any anybody speaking up for him for the first half of the year but he's he's tied with Beneers for number of goals 
I was going to um, say that's a it's a good point. That is a very good you know kind of illustration of the point you're making, and that we're having to fight for mentions for a kid that tied the rookie lead in goals. Yeah, as a 19 year old, I mean, yeah. that, he's 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 up against men. And, 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 and he's also world is fifth place in the league in scoring. You know, we've right. heard so much about the job that Matt Kachuk did in Florida and how big he is and how impressive is, you know, how impressive is Nate McKinnon and oh, what a season Miko Rantanen had. All of those guys are below Jason Robertson on the, uh, you know, on the point list. Yeah. And, and maybe it's something to look at further. This, this may reflect Jim Neal, which is yeah. he's, he's built a team of, of guys who aren't necessarily the gregarious outgoing superstars but they're solid contributors who who kind of outperform their reputation and i think the other thing is you also have to look at you know looking at the other highs the the rest of the scoring leaders right edmonton obviously is edmonton you know, mcdavid is special he's going to draw attention boston has been a very good team tampa bay has won multiple cups right florida was the president's trophy winner last season this is also potentially an area where dallas's overall lack of success as a team maybe hurt some of these guys because, you know, they are not a perennial contender. Maybe we're entering that phase and want to be wonderful. But, you know, this is the the last time, you know, Dallas won a major individual award. It was Jamie Benn winning the, what was it, 88 point, 83 point, you know, hard, uh, hard, yeah, was it 87? Box. Yeah, it was, it was, it, <laughs> what was it? I, 19 guys have surpassed that this year. It could be, uh, could, could, could be more by now. Yeah, but like it just, you know, skimming through the rest of the 100 point scorers, right? You have, you know, three guys from Edmonton, and that's obviously a story in and of itself. You've got the all time great Boston Bruins of this season, you know, put a beat down in the entire league, you know, multi multi cup winning Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Florida was a story, Colorado last year's champions. And then, you know, Elias Peterson and Eric Carlson are really the other two that are, are so, so you can kind of, in a way you can understand why Jason Robertson maybe got overlooked a little bit because from a, you know, narrative standpoint, you know, he's, he's not in the same category as some of those guys, although you could argue that he probably should be. And maybe if he sustains it and as Dallas continues to evolve and grow, and if they maintain this level of success, we'll start to see a, a, a kind of blow a downhill effect, right? Where we since if we have to talk more about the team because the team is newsworthy and the team is achieving things, then we'll talk more about the players that make up that team. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go with my theory is the Dallas guys aren't flashy in what they're doing. Jason Robertson makes what he does look so easy that he doesn't get credit for it. And the same is true for Miro Haskinen. I mean, it's one of those things, like if I if I just pointed, if I pulled up a random score sheet and saw that Jason Robertson had three points, I'm not surprised. It's like, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I may not remember any of them. They're, they're touchpad. I probably, I remember a lot of them, but he's, yeah, they've, they've reached that level of consistency that that just, it's it's not necessarily end-to-end beating seven guys. It's it's making a smart play, being in the right spot and getting rewarded for it, which honestly is more sustainable over the long term, so I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, to take, take a look at your average, you know, Jason Robertson goal. He, he, he gets gets a little opening. He makes a, a, a flick of the stick and he picks a corner yep. and it's like, oh, wow, that was nice. Yeah. And, and then he, he does it again and then he does it again. And it's very repeatable. And, and all of a sudden that's a that's a skill as opposed to a fluke because all sorts of guys can do that once. But Robertson just does it with with relative calm and ease. 
And it does, you know, it's not like he's bringing the puck up from, you know, skating from the defensive zone to the offensive zone through five different guys, you know, dangling all over the place. No, he just kind of nonchalants it in there, and then he goes back to the bench and bumps a couple fists. And it's the it's, it's the 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 Miro Heiskanen play, right? He skates into an open spot, pushes the puck through a hole in the coverage, and somebody taps it into an empty net. How many times have we seen that? Yeah, or or you take a look at the the national broadcast even noticed this, which I found shocking. Is Robert Thomas got a puck going down the left wing last night, and and Heiskanen takes about two strides, and he's right he's right with him and makes the defensive play. And and it's like, oh, yeah, it just just looks kind of calm and normal. And then you think, you know, Robert Thomas is one of the fastest guys in the league. And Miro yeah. just kind of kind of, you know, two two big pushes and he's right with him. It was one of the few moments I was pretty down on the, the quality of the broadcast. But yeah, I remember that play because I, I think it was Butchergrass made the comment, you know, Thomas comes in one on one with Haskin and good luck with that was yeah. his just throw. And it's you're right. That's just the and yeah, he makes mistakes and he's not perfect, but it's gotten to the point with Haskin where it's almost like we we assume that he's just going to take control. So, yeah, good, good luck with that. Yeah, be, yeah. Beat him if you can save the puck. Right. Well, well it's we good, haven't. It's we have anything else? We we haven't. We haven't said Zubov yet. Um, I I'm a big Zubov fan, so I'm a little disappointed to see his record go. But uh, on the other hand, I'm a big Miro fan, so progress. Yeah, and I've always been one that I I appreciate. I like when records fall because I think it gives us a second opportunity to appreciate Sergei Zubov. Talking about the fact that Miro Haskinen surpassed Sergei Zubov is now going to kind of reforce us and enforce in a good way, right? But it forces us back through the conversation about Sergei Zubov, the Hall of Fame defenseman who had, you know, just so much wonderful about his game. And that gives us now context to talk about Miro, right? Now, all of a sudden, you know, Miro has evolved from Tremendous defensive player, if only he can figure it out offensively, to Miro Haskinen just passed a record held by a Hall of Famer and is also still the same you know, defensive stalwart. So it's one of those, I like them falling. Same thing with Jason Robertson and Mike Madonna. I like them falling because it's not, you know, them surpassing the record keeps the record vibrant. It's going to bring Madonna back up. It's going to bring Zuboff back up. We're talking about Hartsburg, right? Now. It, it brings those old, you know, kind of awakens the the memories of, of those great old teams. And it also gives us fresh context to understand how good exactly, you know, we now know as stars fans, how impressive what Jason Robertson is doing. Cause not even Mike Madonna did what he did this season, right? We know how impressive what Miro Haskin is doing because not even Sergei Zuboff did what he did this season. And those are two of the, you know, pillars, name on the cup, all time, justifiably so, all time Dallas Stars greats, NHL Hall of Famers. And now we can look at something and say, yeah, but they didn't do something that Robertson and something that Miro Hayeskin was able to do. Yeah. And that's name, name, name in the <laughs> that's ra- Name in the rafters. And, and, and we're looking at the guys in their prime who are, who, you know, it, if things continue to progress, they're going to have their their numbers up there as well. And they may get some banners as well, right? This is a well-rounded team entering the playoffs healthy. They should be dangerous. And yes, we may be setting ourselves up to get those hopes crushed. And we're going to have a, a playoff preview. And, and we'll talk a lot more about how that's going to shape out once we know who they match up with and what the bracket looks like. But buckle up your anxiety, Stars fans. This is a season, this is a postseason where we should look at it with expectations versus this is not a happy to be there year. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. And and these aren't going to be, you know, natural predator rafter. <laughs> these are, these are, these are going to be real banner. I only have one more thing to say. Say it. Hit me. I like I like where we're at. I like where we're at. I like this group. I like where we're at. Well, I like where we're at. 
Uh, I like where you're at, Mark. KT, I like where you're at putting all of the the, the ones, and two, ones and zeros together. Listeners, I like where you're at liking and downloading everything that we do. I like the new site. lot to like. And uh, we will be back to talk postseason hockey very, very soon. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.